Peter. Okay. So, uh, guys, I'm starting again. So, signs and wonders, part two. So, um, the first miracle that Jesus did was at the wedding in Cana. And uh, so, the first miracle was John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. And when you look at the first miracle, uh, there was a need at the time, and Jesus uh, wasn't actually ready. I'm just bringing these points up to show the kind of God we have and the willingness he has to do miracles, signs, and wonders. We somehow have been convinced because either of a, we have been convinced because of a lack of miracles and signs and wonders in our lives around us and through churches coming up with continuous theologies to tell you why things don't work. We sometimes forget how willing this God is to engage in signs, miracles, and wonders. So when you look at John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, you see that, one, there was a need. Two, the need was the kind that would cause embarrassment and loss of dignity. So it was not a question of life and death, though embarrassment and dignity was pretty important in that culture. Three, Jesus was not ready. It's not my time, he said. He wasn't ready. And yet, to spare a family embarrassment and a loss of dignity, Jesus performs a miracle. And I would say to you, he only did what his, saw his father doing. And so in the process, he restores to this family, restores lack, and as in he makes up for the lack, he restores dignity, he, digno he restores shortfall. Shortfall as in when, when, you, when, you, uh, when you don't have what is enough. You, it's insufficient. So he restores shortfall. And in the process, he restores, he, he shows five of his disciples. At this stage in his life, he only had five disciples. For the first time, his five disciples see a miracle. And they actually end up believing. That's how verse 11 ends. That they actually end up believing. That's the first miracle. I want us to understand how willing God is to do miracle signs and wonders. Guys, these are things I'm struggling with. Huh? I'm struggling with. How have we reached a place where we struggle with a God who does signs, miracles and wonders? I was checking online and every place I check online Every article ends the same way. Yes, God can do miracles, but uh, he is sovereign. Yes, God can do miracles, but uh, that ended with the apostles. Yes, God can do miracles, but we shouldn't uh, expect it every time. Yes, God can do miracles, but we live in an earth that is uh, sick and dying and suffering. Yes, God can do miracles, but our trust should not be in miracles. Yes, God should, can do miracles, but the greatest miracle is salvation. Yes, God can do miracles, but let us not become like a wicked and adulterous generation. 
There's so much of it that you think to yourself, really, at the end of the day, does God do it or doesn't he? And when you look at the stories, it seems to present a different Jesus. And either Jesus is the same unchanging Jesus, or there's something hidden in the Bible that we're not seeing, where this was meant for the New Testament times, or this was meant for the Samaritans, or this was meant for the Gentiles, and this ain't apply, applicable anymore. I want to get out of this. I want to get out of this. And the only way to get out of this is to take a hammer to it every time and then use um, mortar and build a new structure. There's two things. There's a deconstruction of a mindset and the reconstruction of a biblical view. It has to be both. Because you cannot inhabit what you don't believe. You cannot inhabit what you don't believe. If you half believe it, you will only inhabit what you half believe. It's not even dependent on whether you got your miracle or not. That becomes such a problem, eh? How come I am still sick? If I am still sick, then this doesn't work. I want to get out of this so that I trust and believe Jesus as the same unchanging one who, if anything, is increasing in who he is on the earth. Because the Bible says, as the days come to an end, the devil is increasing in his rage, his fury, his evil, his wickedness, and his ways over the sons of disobedience. At this time, do you think Christ who said that the greater the darkness, the greater the light will hold back who he is through his people? That is the first miracle. And then you look at the fact that he dis the Bible actually says in John chapter 2, verse 11, that through this miracle he displayed his glory and his disciples believed him. Five of them believed him. That's the first time they decided, ah, shucks, this is more than a rabbi we have in our midst. The last miracle he did was in John 21, verse 6, where he says, boys, do you have any fish? And they say, we fished all night. And he says, okay, cast your net on the other side. And they pull up 153 fish. And in the process, Jesus restores Peter. He restores provision. Restores provision. He propels them into their future commission. That you just won't be fishers uh, of fish, you'll be fishers of men. That's his last miracle. One of the words that I want us to just continuously focus on is the word restore. Because we said this yesterday. That the reason God does signs, miracles and wonders is because he is obsessed with restoration. He's so obsessed with restoration that he allows the, um, the murder of his son. That's how obsessed he is with restoration. He's so obsessed with restoration that his son is slain before the foundations of the earth were laid. 
And that God is not working, waiting for some end day. If he was waiting for some end day, the Bible would be much shorter and the Gospels would be missing because he would just turn up on the end day and in one swoop restore everything. Remove the devil, make us whole, and we'd be restored. But that's not the plan. The plan was that the kingdom would break in with the coming of Jesus and then we would work towards this time and everything would come to an amazing finale. But in the process, we got to show the world what it looks like. And Jesus is alive and he's left his body on the earth for one purpose. Can you join me in my mission to restore? These things should sink somewhere deep inside. When you look at his miracles, you have the nobleman's son who was sick and uh, Jesus says to him, go, your son uh, is well. And on his, when he was going, his servants meet him and they say, hey, your son is well. And he said, which hour did it happen? And they find out it was the same hour that Jesus spoke. There was a miracle of uh, fish being caught on the other side of the boat when Peter says to him, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. There were demoniacs, one in Gadarin, two somewhere else, and many more where people were delivered of fears, um, not ordinary demons, like demons like Legion. Mary was delivered of seven demons. There was Peter's mother-in-law who was unable to move because of a fever and Jesus goes, lifts her up and rebukes the fever. There was walking through the midst of persecutors who were going to throw him over a cliff and he walks through them and they cannot stop him. There were lepers that were healed. There were the 10 lepers and then there was a leper in Luke 5 who said, if you are willing, you will make me clean. There was a widow's son who was dead and he was raised back to life. There was a centurion's servant who was raised back to life. There was the stilling of the storm. There was the paralytic, many paralytics. There was Jairus's daughter. There was the issue of blood. There was Bartimaeus and then there were other blind men. There was the mute man and Jesus touched his tongue and he became okay. There was the pool at Bethesda where there was a man who had been crippled for 38 years. There was another man who had a withered hand. He stretched out his hand and the withered hand on a Sabbath became well. There was a feeding of the 5,000. There was a feeding of the 4,000. There was the word Ephatha spoken and the ears popped open. There was a Syrophoenician woman whose daughter was demonized who was healed. There was a blind man in John chapter 9 who began to see but he saw things like trees and Jesus asked him to wash, touch his eyes again and uh, his eyes were restored. There was a boy that would be thrown into the fire by a demon and the father brought to, uh, him to the disciples. They couldn't do anything. Jesus healed him. There was a woman who was bent for 18 years, a daughter of Abraham. He delivered her from a demon and he straightened her back out. There was a man who came with a swelling or dropsy on Sabbath. Jesus healed him. There were the 10 lepers and they all walked to the priest. All of them got healed. One man came back. There was Lazarus who was put in a tomb for four days and he came out of it alive. There was a fig tree that existed one day with leaves and in a few hours was completely um, uh, withered away by Jesus' command. There was Malchus, the man whose ear Peter cut and Jesus put his hand on his ear and the ear was restored. There was a resurrection where a man who was dead and who was put in a tomb rose again to life and presented himself to the disciples. There was a catch of the 153 fish. There was a walking through walls and appearing to the disciples while they were sitting hidden. There was the walk to Emmaus and he was breaking bread and suddenly he disappeared. <sighs> You are saying that this Jesus doesn't do anything anymore, Jacob? 
get your mind right. I'm talking to myself. After giving you that entire list, John 21 verse 25 still says that if I would begin to record everything that Jesus did, there would not be enough books to record them. So what we are hearing is just this vignette of what Jesus did. There aren't enough books to write all the things he actually did. What kind of man is this man who roams the earth today and who lives in his body and is waiting to do the same thing? Either he is unchanging and he does the same yesterday, today and forever or we've got some really bad theology to justify our importance. Thing is, we've got to prove this. We've got to prove it works. But you can't prove anything till you believe what has been said. Book of Acts is a repeat. All these things I've mentioned, all these healings, deliverances, provision happens in the book of Acts. The only things that are added on is there are thousands of salvations. There's this amazing thing called translation that happens where a man is in one spot, uh, one second, and the next spot he's about 18 to 20 miles away in a second. There's uh, angelic interventions that happen in the book of Acts, where Peter is in a prison and suddenly the doors start just swinging open. Chains fall off. Two different occasions. Once with Paul and Silas, once with Peter. Doors swinging open, guards standing there, nobody aware, walking right through and he had to literally pinch himself to see if this was real. And the angel actually wakes him up by kicking him. Saying, wake up Peter. Paul had the same thing. Chains fall off. Besides that, the other miracles that happen in the book of Acts is um, Simon Magus being struck blind and uh, Herod being st struck to death. Acts chapter 5 and, sorry, uh, Acts and then Ananias and Sapphira dying on the spot. Acts 5, Acts 9, Acts 12. Acts 8, Acts 12. These were miracles too, but miracles that resulted, yes, in the word of God spreading, yes, fear being caused among people, amazement, but opposition being removed. Those are the additions in the, the book of Acts. But otherwise, you can basically put miracles under these categories. You can put them under multiplication, Healing, is my mic still on? Deliverance from demons. Um, replacement, as in he, healing is one thing, but when, uh, when someone who doesn't have a hand suddenly has a hand replaced, when someone who doesn't have, uh, who is mute from birth has hearing replaced. You're talking about more than something that is damaged being repaired. You're talking about something being literally recreated or regenerated. 
Um, control over nature, where elements of nature are controlled or made to go one way or the other, like he did with the wind and the waves. The ability to conquer times and space, where he appeared, disappeared, translation. These are things in the New Testament where provision, uh, which is one of God's favorite things to do in miracles, and life, where what was dead was brought back to life. Look at this, man. Look at this. What kind of God are we serving? This is just nuts, man. Not bad, Manoj. This is just nuts. This is who God is. These are the areas of miracles. Life, as in physical life being restored. Provision. This is one of God's common themes. Providing miraculously. A miracle is a violation or an overriding of the natural by the intervention of the supernatural. Time space. Yeah. I got stories I can share from time space, man. Multiplication, where things multiply. Healing, deliverance, replacement or regeneration, control over the elements of nature. And usually, whenever these things happen, it would affect three groups of people. It would affect those watching. It would affect those with Jesus, as in his disciples. And it would affect those on whom or for whom the miracle was done. And the reactions would be awe, doubt, resistance, opposition. And we have to take stock of that. That there are three groups that are affected when miracles are done. The ones who are watching, the ones with you in the process, and the ones to whom the miracle is done. And the reaction is either awe and amazement, sometimes doubt, uh, and oftentimes resistance and opposition, because there can't be a neutral reaction to a miracle. It's impossible to be neutral. But let's set this aside. I just wanted you to know that. We can visit that later. But I want us to look at the different areas that the world is waiting for us to be provided, uh, for us to provide them in. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. Eh? I want to go into method now. Method. Don's question is, do we have the same authority in all these areas just like Jesus? I would say um, when it comes to miracles, because it's a supernatural intervention of God violating or overriding natural order, I'd say it's um, not as much about authority as it is about uh, 
uh, us doing what God is asking us to do in any given moment. Because in all these things, the one thing that he wants to do is restore. He wants to restore. So when he's providing, he wants to restore what is missing. When he's healing, he wants to restore what is damaged. When he delivers, he wants to restore sanity back. There are times when casting out demons requires authority. But somehow when we think of miracles, we are thinking of an intervention by God, a supernatural intervention to change natural order. And I would deal with authority only later. The first thing I want to deal with is my mental space. Because I'm not even ready to acknowledge that signs and miracles and wonders are, are God's favorite thing. These are a few of his favorite things. She's laughing too. So that is where my struggle is. I think the authority thing will be easier for me. So when it comes to method, when it comes to method, uh, if you look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, for instance, Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, where Peter and John went to pray. Everything is a song. It's so easy to remember things by song. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on their way. He asked for some arms and he held out his palms. This is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God. Walking and leaping and praising God in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's Acts chapter 3, verse 1 to 12 in song. So, when you look at that picture, and the guy was asking for arms. Eh? He wasn't even asking for uh, healing. So when you look at that, there are, and we talk about method, here are some things we need to know with regard to method. First, expectation. Second, professed knowledge. Third, imitation. Fourth, professed uh, dependence. Fifth, exposure. Sixth, verification. So the first one is perhaps the most important. Do you have an expectation that God does miracles, one, that God does miracles today, two, that God does miracles today through you, three, that God does miracles every day through you, four, that God does miracles 
for the rest of your life. That expectation is where we are struggling because what expectation does is expectation triggers unsolicited action. Expectation triggers unsolicited action, as in it doesn't even wait for, hey, could you heal me? I mean, Peter and John were being asked for change, but they had this strange expectation that if a man is begging for money, it is their uh, appointed responsibility to say to the man, we don't have silver and gold, we don't have anything to give you, but we do have something to give you, and we have what we have to give is in the name of Jesus Christ, and you look like you need help, so in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Who asked him to get healed? Nobody. The guy wasn't asking, saying, please heal me. Just about two months before that, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Yeah. I think, I think uh, God expects believers to have some faith, but he doesn't expect unbelievers to have any faith. Because what could they have faith in? They don't know Jesus. God really shows off in front of unbelievers, eh? So, um, the first one is expectation. Expectation triggers unsolicited action cause of anticipated outcome. Cause of anticipated outcome. Expectation triggers unasked, uninvited, unsolicited action because of anticipated outcome. I know what's going to happen. I know you're asking me for money but I'm just going to go ahead and heal you because I know the anticipated outcome. This wasn't Peter and John saying, hey, here's a lame guy. Do you want to try that thing that Jesus did? Let's see if it works. It wasn't a let's try this and see if it works. It was, uh, it, it was this expectation that triggered unasked, uninvited action because they had an anticipated outcome that they knew would come to pass. What confidence, man. And this is what I don't have. Yeah, because he grew up amongst them, Capernaum, and uh, why wasn't Jesus able to perform miracles in Capernaum and Galilee? He was the son of the soil who grew up amongst them, they had seen him do things in surrounding neighborhoods. He comes to his own town and his own town is not willing to believe. So when there is enough reason to have faith and you choose not to believe, then uh, there's nothing much we can do. So th there can be people at Acts 29, you tell them a thing that is from the Bible and you teach them and they can still resist it. At that point, there's nothing you can do. Because it's not for a lack of teaching, not for a lack of uh, goading, pushing, um, persuading, loving, it is just, this is who I am. Then there's nothing you can do. Professed knowledge, as in, this should continuously be built up. Who Jesus is, how he's a restorer, who he is in me. This must continuously built, be built up. Professed knowledge, meaning I should speak it out. I should speak it out. I must have it's a professed knowledge, not knowledge that sits in my head. 
But this is who Jesus is. That's what we're doing now. This is professed knowledge. We're looking at, looking at stories, looking at scriptures, looking at the nature of God, particularly his intent to restore. And we're saying, but this is who he is. We are growing in knowledge. And knowledge that we grow in is always spoken. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be discussed. Questions will come up. Professed knowledge. Perhaps the difference between a theologian and a practice, practicing theologian is one has knowledge and teaches it, another one professes it, wants to practice it, wants to see it work. It's not enough for it to be something that is filling books. I don't want, I don't want this to fill books. I don't want it to be in my notes. I want to see us. I really mean us. I really want to see us show the world that this works. Third, imitation. Imitation recalls how Jesus did it. And it makes contextual adjustments so that we can repeat the same, we can imitate the same thing in our context. Imitation is, how did Jesus do this? How did Paul do it? How did Peter do it? Aha, so that's how they do it. So I'll probably do the same. Only uh, there might be contextual changes that I'll have to make. And so I'll make those changes. Maybe I can't tell the doctors and nurses to leave the room because I'm in the hospital room. Let them stay, but I'll ask all the other mourners to leave. But imitation is, <laughs> is something that I have to learn from Bible stories. This is what happened in the Bible. This is what I'll still do. If anything needs to be added, I'll add. But this, this is the methodology, guys. The fourth one is uh, um, professed dependence, where I acknowledge the source of the miracle. I uh, give him recognition for what he's doing. I rely, I speak about my reliance on him as I go about doing what I'm about to do. And you'll see this, Peter in Acts chapter 3. Hey guys, he says in 3 verse 12 and verse 16, do not look at us. This is surely in the name of Jesus Christ. You know with Jesus we are talking about, the one that the rulers put to death, that Jesus Christ. It is surely by the power in his name that this man has been healed. Same thing in Acts chapter 14 that we read yesterday. It is this professed dependence which acknowledges, gives uh, glory and speaks of the one in whose name you are going to do what you're going to do or you just finish doing what you have done. One of the coolest things is when I know that something is going to happen and you go tell someone that, listen, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus and when I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus, this is going to happen. But I want you to know that it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with Jesus. Tell the person. It is so much fun. It is such a foolish, boastful, clamorous, not glamorous, clamorous as in loud and unruly declaration of who God is and what he's going to do. Your absolute dependence on him. Giving glory before it happens and after it happens. The fifth one is exposure. You have to calibrate exposure. As in, you have to decide, Father, as I go about, going, uh, as I go about doing this healing or miracle, uh, do I 
do it publicly in uh, open space or do I do it privately where I call this person aside? Do I expel mourners or don't I? Do I close the doors or do I not close the doors? Jesus had to go through this process every time. There were times when he didn't want to do it publicly and he was forced to do it publicly and the Bible says that because the information was shared publicly, Jesus couldn't enter the town again because there was too much of a crowd. Other times he would close the door so that nobody saw it. Other times he would expel the mourners. Other times Paul and uh, Silas would do things out in the open and immediately it would be followed by opposition and beating up. When the spirit of divination was cast out of the woman in Acts 16, seconds later, Paul and Silas were beaten up by the crowd. It's only today that we use healing in mass crusades to invite people in uh, so that Whatever intent the crusader has is met. But in the New Testament, it was thought of before it was done. Because the, the primary intent here is restoration. And the last one is verification. Verification is when you ask the person to validate the miracle that happened. Go to the doctor, go to the priest, go to whoever needs to check whether the fish I gave you is plastic or real before you eat it or before you boil it because plastic doesn't boil well. Encourage, valid encourage validation. Encourage validation. Jesus at one point goes up to Thomas and what does he say? Listen, here, feel the nail marks because Thomas had said, till I put my fingers into the marks of the nail, I won't believe. Feel it. That is something that we must engage in. So these are the six steps in terms of methods. Any questions? Exposure. When it comes to where and how I do the miracle, I have to figure out, I, I should calibrate, as in I should calculate whether God is saying, do it openly. Do it uh, behind closed doors, um, expel mourners, call in the pastor. Depends. Who do I take with me? That's another important thing. Who do I take with me? Exposure is so important who I take with me. Why is it that at times I can take all 12? Why is it that other times I can only take Peter, James and John? Why is it that at times I break the bread and I multiply it and give it? Why at other times do I say to Philip, you go do it? That's what I mean by exposure. Any questions? Pardon? Will take time. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure, but perhaps. Yeah. For me, the only step that I really want to um, cement forever is expectation. Once I cement that, the rest of it, 
will just increase. Imitation is not much of a problem if you are fluent in the word or have uh, an idea of what the stories in the Bible are. Dependent acknowledgement, I think most of us are okay with. Exposure is hearing and doing. Verification is scary <laughs> because it proves whether the thing was real or not. Expectation is where I would have a struggle. This must be my constant expectation. What a place to start his first miracle, eh? Can, can, um, yeah. Uh, in Cana at a wedding. Um, so know this, that it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. It only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. Realize that miracles happen by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by you. Try to, try to take the pressure off you. Try to take the pressure off you. This can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. Try to take the pressure off you. So Jacob, shouldn't we ask the Lord before we go heal somebody? I think we've got the asking quite... Um, um, we've got the asking um, thing done quite well. We Most of us know how to hear God. I think now what is required is a daring. And so... We know that it is only by the Holy Spirit that it happens. Luke 5.17, the power of God was present to heal. Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit there. Romans 15.19, the words and the deeds, the signs and the wonders, Paul says, that I have done all across the place is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 3 verse 5, why are you going back to your old ways? Aren't the miracles that were done amongst you in this church done by the power of the Holy Spirit? Isaiah 60 verse 1 and 2, this is something that perhaps you can read every morning for the next uh, 100 days where you start with this idea of the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to open the eyes of the blind, to set captives free, to set people at liberty, to announce the year of favor. The year of favor was a year when people would be released from that which was damaged and broken and people would be restored. That was the year of favor. It was a year of jubilee. Isaiah 61, let me read it. I was pleading with the Lord that today as I teach, oh God, would you teach me? Would you help me to understand words that I've never understood before? The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort those who mourn. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, send me to Bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom to the captives, release from darkness for prisoners. Keep going over that. The other thing I want to say, guys, and I think this is such a critical point, is that miracles lie at the heart of the gospel. 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 Why is this important? What's the commission? Go preach the good news to all nations. The gospel, if, if our primary job is to preach the gospel, 
that miracles lie at the heart of the gospel. Because here's the gospel, guys. Listen to this. Here's the gospel. Because most of us wouldn't know how to define the gospel. I asked myself day before yesterday night, Jacob, define the gospel. I was surprised at how ill-defined it was. Here is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that the one and only holy God has promised to restore all has promised to restore all things including you through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus Christ let me say that again here is the gospel this is what we are supposed to preach here is the gospel the gospel is the good news this is part one of the gospel the gospel is the good news that the one and only holy God has promised to restore all things, including you, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That he's restoring all things, including you. What have we made the gospel? We made the gospel, my salvation. I'm saved. That is not the way the gospel was meant to be in the heart of God. The idea was, listen, I'm the one and only holy God. I'm the sovereign one. I made the earth beautiful. I had a plan for it. I knew that Adam would mess up, but I still had a plan for it. And I'm not going to change my plan. And I have promised right from the moment I turned up in the garden and cursed the serpent. I promised there. And I promised before the foundations of the earth by having my son slain. I promised that I would restore all things. All things, including you, Jacob, through the death and resurrection of my son, Jesus Christ, whose love for you is extravagant, who came as a willing sacrifice to reconcile, to restore all things back to me so that I can have Eden back. Eden is mine. You gave it away. I get it back and I will restore. That is why this word restore is critical when it comes to miracle signs and wonders. Because healing, signs, wonders, miracles are meant for one thing. To give the world a taste, to give the church a taste, to give you a taste of what is going to happen one day already because the kingdom has broken in. This must somehow grab my heart. Because like it or not, signs, wonders and miracles lie at the heart of the gospel. Because the gospel is about restoring These are the works of God meant to restore creation and undo brokenness. That's what these things are. No other religion offers it. Why are we domesticating, taming, sterilizing, sanitizing, destroying? What God has meant. I would say, I put it this way, dare to think, dare I'm just taking words that Derek said yesterday. Dare to think, dare to think God's of, dare to think God's absolute desire to restore, dare to think God's absolute desire to restore dare to think God's absolute desire to restore in Superstore 
in Superstore. Dare to think God's absolute desire to restore in Superstore through a miracle in a life today. Dare to think like this, that God has this obsessive desire to restore and that often those restorations come not through a long process, though there are some processes that are long for restoration. Often those processes come also through miracle signs and wonders and it might happen in superstore or in the street or at work <coughs> and it might happen through you and it might happen today. feel like coughing but it's so difficult nowadays you can't cough <coughs> so I'll have to drink coffee and drink water and give my throat a break what do you do when you shout like this huh? and it's not like it's 20 minutes it's like almost an hour I'm talking about the worship I mean, give Don and Michael a turn at worship and they repeat the song so many times that at the end of the day, I didn't know how to sing a little louder. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. <laughs> and by the time Don was done, I didn't have any moves left. <laughs> All right, moving on. Pardon? Even Phoebe stopped, yeah. Okay. Guys, the gospel can't just be words. It has to be words, lifestyle works. The gospel can't just be words. It has to be words, lifestyle works. First Thessalonians 1.5. Sometimes you have these scriptures hidden away in places like Thessalonica. Nobody goes there. First Thessalonians 1.5. Guys who get completely ignored are Nahum, Obadiah. Thessalonians. We think Thessalonians is a person. It was just a letter written to the people there. So, First um, Thessalonians one five. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Beautifully. Eh? This gospel is not just words, it's words, lifestyle, works. Words, lifestyle, works. So the equation is very simple. When words are spoken, when words are spoken, works happen. And the works that happen validate the words. When words are spoken, 
works happen. And works, when works happen, it validates the words and the presence of God. That's why Jesus said, uh, son, your sins are forgiven. But since you don't believe that, let me show you that my words matter. Pick up your bed and walk. And in him picking up his bed and walk, walking, the people around realized, oh shucks, his sins are forgiven too. Which is what I just sang, Psalm 103. Forgive all your sins, heal all your diseases. This is how it works. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 John 14.11 Listen to it, uh, just listen to it. Jesus is saying this, John 14.11 I'm reading from the message. If you can't believe that the Father is in me and I'm in the Father, believe what you see, these works. If you can't believe what I'm saying, look at, look at the works I'm doing. How can we sanitize this? Guys, there are two extremes nowadays. Eh? We mutilate the gospel by either peddling signs without, the, without preaching the word or preaching the word without an expectation of signs. We mutilate it. We mutilate the gospel by either peddling signs without preaching the word or preaching the word without an expectation of signs. And I'm saying Acts 29. Acts 29, please let us preach the word and expect signs because that's how Jesus said we should go about doing things. Jesus commanded, go, preach, heal, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And if he commanded me to do that and if I obey, he will not hold back. Heaven backs what Jesus says. If he commanded, go, preach. And that's the order. He commanded it, go. So they won't come here, you go. Go, preach, heal, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. Heaven will back you up. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 17 and 18, these signs will accompany those who believe. Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons. They will lay their hands on the sick and the sick shall be healed. Jesus said this. Come on, man. We got to at least begin to experiment with this and increase our level of expectation. Jacob, you are setting us up for failure. Hey, if after praying for five people, one person rises, I can live with that. I always think your batting average goes up as you bat more. I know I've said this before. Jeevan and I were sitting with a pastor from New West and he asked Jeevan, why is it that more miracles happen in India and South America and places like that than in Canada? And I had a really good answer, but unfortunately Jeevan beat, it, beat me to it and his answer was better, so I shut up. Uh, Jeevan said, uh, that's because in... Uh, uh, and in an Indian village, when you don't have money, you can't go to the bank to get it. When you don't have medicines, you can't get, go to a doctor because there's no doctor. When you uh, have a pain, you can't go uh, and get Tylenol. You do not have a choice but to turn to the only one who can help you. And when they turn to their gods and they find no relief and you tell them that your God heals, they come. And he says, 
people begin to see miracles because they do not have any other choice. It's true. And when they come to you and you say you're a Jesus believer and they ask you to pray and you don't know how to pray, all you do is lay hands and say, Jesus, please take this pain away and Jesus takes the pain away and you become a hero. And you realize this is much easier than you thought. There's no great intellectual thinking in this. It's just foolish obedience. The second part of the definition of the gospel is he redeemed you so you can join his community and become partners with God on his mission of restoration. That's the second part of the gospel. The first part of the gospel was that it is the good news of the one and only holy God promising to restore all things, including you, through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, who extravagantly loves you. As you believe that and with faith receive that, he now redeems you so that you can join his community and partner with him on the mission of restoring all things. That's our mission, restoring all things back to the Father. That's your mission. Why do you think Jesus is saying, go preach, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, heal the sick, cast out demons? Why is he doing that? Because he wants everything restored back to him. That's why he came. I'm restoring all things back to my father. I'm reconciling all things back to my father. Why is Jane singing, walls be broken down? Because Jesus said that the wall of hostility between God and man, between Jew and Gentile, I'm breaking down. Coming to reconcile. This is what we are supposed to do. Let me end with two, one verse and one story. John 14, 12. Jesus is saying, I'm on my way to my father. I'm giving you the same work to do that I've been doing. Period. I'm on my way to the father. I'm giving you the same work to do that I was doing. How do you argue with stuff like this, man? You know where we get stuck? When he said greater works, what did he mean by greater works? How many of us have done greater works? Really? See the rest of the scripture. I'm going to my father. I'm leaving you to do the work that I was doing. I'm leaving it to you to do. Whether your works are lesser or greater, we'll figure it out later. But at least start with that. I'll tell you a story. I'm telling you the story so that we also begin to do this. So, in uh, Jan of 20, my God, this COVID has made an entire year disappear. Uh, Jan of October of 2019, I, I was in Delhi. And I met a couple there, and the couple's name is, uh, the husband's name is Kalyan. Very simple guy, no particular gifting, no charisma. Uh, he's from south of India. And his wife, Anandi, she was um, more like, um, uh, like sh she was like a horse raring to go. And so they felt a call upon their lives to go to North India from South India, which is like going from Vancouver to Quebec. It's a completely different culture, language, everything. And so they decided to go, and they didn't know the language. 
So they decided to go, and they decided to go to a particular city called Varanasi, which is the birthplace of Hinduism. Um, and so they go there, and that was 15 years ago. And <laughs> over the last 15 years, I'll come to the conclusion, then trace back. Over the last 15 years, they've planted 800 churches. They don't know how to speak the language. They, even now, the husband, uh, his Hindi is pretty bad. I, I speak better Hindi than him. Um, but over 15 years, especially in the last 10 years, 800 churches. In one of India's toughest places, if you ask any Indian, it is one of the toughest places to plant churches because that province is so solidly Hindu and nationalistic that it is like going into the lion's den. But that is the place they planted 800 churches. So how do they go about it? So uh, whenever they come to a city, um, they'll decide that, okay, for the next seven weeks, let's go walking through these streets and pray. And so for seven weeks, they'll pray. So when Jane uh, texted me this morning and said, uh, "Want to feel like today is a significant day where walls have to come down. We've got to do something like we did at Jericho. Uh, I was thinking of what uh, this couple do. So uh, they'll go around the city, walking the streets for seven weeks, praying against spiritual uh, powers that they recognize or they feel uh, are affecting the city. For seven weeks, they do that. After seven weeks, um, signs and miracles start happening. So there'll be people that are demonized, people that are sick who will come in their path. And when they come in their path, these guys will go and just pray. And no fancy prayer, no shouting, no great um, method or anything, just simple prayers. And invariably after seven weeks, healings and signs and miracles start happening and people get healed or people get set free. And now, instead of saying, come to our church, which they have, They'll say, um, where do you come from? And the guys will say, we come from such and such a village in the province. They said, next time you go to your village, uh, we'd love to come and see the village. And so they'll go to the village that the family hails from. And when they go to the village, they'll meet the rest of the village and the rest of the family. And in the process, begin to establish relationship with that village and with the family and start a house church in that village. And in the process over the last 15 years, they've established 800 churches. All these 800 churches are house churches. So the intent is not to, if you meet someone in Vancouver and uh, you bring them to Acts 29, it is spread this out, spread this out. When I met them, I was in awe. I was in awe partly because they looked so ordinary. That <laughs> blew my mind, man. Seven weeks of prayer, signs and miracles start breaking out, partly because the prayer involves going through the city, looking at spiritual uh, powers that need to be stripped, uh, blessings that need to be spoken. Seven weeks of that, miracles and healings, uh, people turning to Christ, going into their families, their friends, their relatives, into their villages, into their hometowns, establishing house churches there, and then coming back to the city, training these guys and sending them out. Let's pray.
I personally feel, Father, that we've come to the conclusion of all that can be taught on revival. From now on, we can uh, remind ourselves of this thing called a revival that you are releasing across the globe through us. But there's not much more that you, Holy Spirit, want to teach us about it. You're saying, that was four good months of teaching. Now go do. So I thank you that you're putting a stop to it, Holy Spirit. I don't know what your plans are next week, but it ain't going to be uh, more to show us about revival. You're done with that. Now go do. May that be the slogan for the next eight months. Now go do. Now go do, now go do, now go do, now go do. Now go do. Go restore. So Father, we just take a minute to just commit ourselves to this. The signs and wonders thing has to be added to everything we've learned from Shekinah 1. So I'm just going to ask Derek to come and conclude. And uh, anything else, Father? Another term, another phrase I hear is boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. Now go do. Boots on the ground. Then the third thing you're saying is not at the, the, not at the pace you've been doing it. Not at the pace you've been doing it. Father, you're not interested, uh, and this sounds kind of rude. Um, this will make, this will, I'll make you sound rude when I say this, but you're not interested in us coming and sharing a testimony of how we spoke to this person or how we spoke to that person and the person was touched or the person's heart is open. You're saying that's good, but that's not what I'm after. I'm after you now taking on my obsessive heart and having a passion that is so fiery, so fierce that you will not settle, that you will be the beautiful feet on the mountains, that this is no longer about a chance meeting, but this is about deliberate, intentional going out. Yeah, I'll let Derek come up. There's something more you want to say about that, but I don't know what you want to say. I don't have the words for it. I might come up after Derek, Father.
Father, I thank you that everything we've been hearing is for now. It's very much for now, Abba. Father, we just want to take a minute or two to talk to you, to set our hearts to the commission that you have given us. You're telling us, this is what I've done always. I restore people back to how I created them. And I want to end brokenness. I restore and I end brokenness. I restore people and I end brokenness. And I do that through ordinary people like you. In Mark chapter 16, it says anyone who believes. And Abba, we believe the words that we've been hearing. We believe it, Abba. This is who you are. This is your very nature. Signs, miracles, wonders, so that you restore people, so that you end brokenness. Is your very nature, Abba. It's your very nature. And so we say yes to your commission to us. And above, we are not looking, as Jacob said, we are not looking for stories. We are not looking for things to share. We are looking for, where do you want to go? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? How do I pray? And I'm going to pray. And I will expect it, Abba, that we will expect it as a people. Because you're the one who is doing it. Your spirit is jealous over the city. When Jane started, she said, she said, the city has been given to you. The city has been given to you. And so we say, yeah, Abba. We look, I look at the city, Abba. We look at the city. We look at the city. The city has been given to us. Because this city is yours. Before there was anyone here, you were here. And the people in the city will be restored by the name of Jesus. The people in the city will be restored. And the brokenness in the city will end up. Father, so we say yes to the commission that we've been given. And we want to go. And so we look at the, we don't, about, um, we don't want to look at the next Saturday today. Next Saturday will come. But I want to look at today. I want to look at today. I want to look at tomorrow. Because this is for now, Abba. Because if we wait, that's not what you want of us. It's for now. It's for now. So church, this is for today. This is for today. This is for now. And Abba, I, we, you want us to respond to this, so I don't know much, but I'm just going to ask all of us, where we are at our homes, to lift our hands to you, even in this room, in response to the teaching, in response to the truth, in response to your word, saying, I agree with your will for this city. I agree with your will for the people, so that those who are broken... Their brokenness will end so that people will be restored. In my raising of this hand, Abba, in our raising of the, these hands, we are saying yes. And we see your power.
that is waiting to flow through us because you're the one who is doing it. In Jesus' name. Guys, as we sing this song to conclude, if necessary, don't sing it. Huh? Just listen to the words and then sing it when you think you want to sing it. This is not a song that I'm asking for participation in. A, it's a song that I'm asking uh, as a response or as a prayer from our hearts. So sing it only if you need to. Otherwise, listen to the words and Commit to God as the song is being sung. Father, I just say that even as I, I sing it um, on behalf of others and for myself, that Father, help me with my, actually, first of all, I just even want to lay down my fears. Even of, you know, as I was listening to this message, I was like, but what about what other people think? It so often stunts me. Father, I just want to lay that down. worrying about others' expectations of how I should be or act or behave, I just lay that down. Mm -hmm. Again, I lay it down, Father, at your feet. And I just say, Father, I want to, as I sing, I want to trample on it. Yeah. I want to trample on it. And I'll do it again and again as many times yeah, as man. I need to. So you got to help me with this, Holy Spirit. Because as I do that, I know that you will clothe me with your boldness that I don't need to try, I don't need to work hard at it. But this you want me to do. Yeah. And if others want to too, then you're inviting them to do the same. And that you're gonna clothe them with, po with power, with boldness, with opportunities. Jesus blinded all my darkness Spark my heart within His grace and mercy lit a passion Consume my sin Jesus Jesus blinded all my darkness He sparked my heart within His grace and mercy lit a passion Consume my sin now like a city on a hilltop Your father. I'll shine through the night I am a light made for your glory I will not hide
like a city. Now like a city on a